about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. That's Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 18. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your sons hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. We'll be reading from uh, John 20, 24 to 28. It's 1,075 of the Pew Bible. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministry team here. Great to see you here this evening. As Matt suggested, we're starting a new series and we're thinking about four different things. Um, On his hands, in his sight, on his mind, on his lips, known by God. And each week we're going to be looking at one of those themes. Typically in this church we follow a book through But the beginning of this year, we're starting with themes and ideas, and particularly the notion about being known by God. Now, you might ask why we're doing this. Well, we're going to think about that. Why are we actually thinking about this series? Tonight, we're also going to be thinking about a what, God's tattoo, and then how it makes a difference. Now, in terms of thinking about the why. One of the whys is Brian Rosner, who's the principal of Ridley Bible College in Melbourne, has written a book called Known by God. And recently he delivered a series of lectures that are called the New College Lectures. Are really worth a listen if you want to go online and listen to them, or you can buy this as an ebook. Really insightful book. It comes out of his personal experience, actually, a very deep and uh, difficult experience that he had. And as a theologian, he's thinking through what does it mean to be known by God. Now, one of the reasons he's thinking that through is because. Being known by God happens to have an answer to a question that we have as a society. Um, What he notes is that at our particular time in history, at our particular point in history, one of the big questions that we have as a community, as a society, is who are we? Uh, Questions of personal identity. 
And the difficulty is we have a number of competing voices at this time in terms of our personal identity. On one hand, we hear constantly that there's nothing more important than knowing who you are and acting accordingly. In other words, be true to yourself. You hear that advice all the time, be true to yourself. You can see it in um, phrases like this. A lot of the conflict you have in your life exists simply because you are not living in alignment. You are not being true to yourself. When you can give up approval and appreciation-seeking behaviours, then you can become true, your true self and... Sorry, you will become true to yourself and to the universe. Finally, be true to yourself, make each day a masterpiece. And you can see why these uh, things resonate with us. The idea of authenticity is important to us. Be true to yourself. However, there's a problem. Because on one hand, we're being told to be true to ourselves, but on the other hand, it's almost like this is a, a, a very difficult point in human history because we actually don't know who ourselves are and how to be true to ourselves. There's been a big shift that has been taking place. Uh, one of the authors that he quotes is a sociologist, and he, this sociologist pointed out the great shift that has taken place within our community. Traditional communities are rivers, while modern societies are oceans. Let's explain that. A river has a direction and carries you along with the current just as a traditional society direct their members in a particular way. So if you're a farmer and the son of a farmer, you will probably be a farmer. If you get married at a certain age, you will act in that marriage in a particular way because of the tradition of your community. If you're educated in a particular way, then you will probably receive the same kind of education as the people who've gone before you in traditional communities. Now, of course, there are great benefits of that. You know who you are. You're the son of someone. You're the father of someone. You're someone who belongs to this particular family unit. Uh, you fit within the community in this particular way. And, of course, there's been very many benefits of that, but we can also see the downside, can't we? There seems to be a lack of freedom and being, people being forced into particular roles and trying to find their way forward seems to be like you'll lose all your freedom. On the other hand, we live now much more in a society where that we're not in a river, we're in an ocean. And the sociologist describes it in this way. In modern societies, there is no current. We can choose to go any direction or no direction or to shift direction with every change of winds. In other words, it's a bit like being in an ocean with no horizon. And you can make a decision which way you swim. There's tremendous freedom in that. You can swim whatever direction you want to go. But of course, there's a downside to that too, isn't there? There's a sense of, well, which direction should I be swimming in? Or where's my guide? How, how, how do I know that I'm swimming in the right direction? How do I know that I've actually made the right decision? So on one hand, we have this push, be true to yourself, and on the other hand, not much guidance as to actually what that looks like and, and how to be. 
And so this series is looking at that context and trying to understand what is a biblical response to this? What, what does God have to say into this space at this particular time? How can God speak to us uh, through his word in this kind of context? Now, of course, one of the problems with this picture that I've just painted is it produces all kinds of results. I don't know whether you've noticed, uh, people are far more anxious. Uh, if you're not quite sure who you are and how to be true to yourself, it produces a whole lot of anxiety about what to do and what to say and what kind of relationships to form. I've observed also it actually frequently affects communities like ours. Uh, because we're concerned, naturally, about how to be true to ourselves and what to do and how to live... Uh, the idea of sacrificing for others becomes less because what happens is we grow larger, our concerns grow larger, our needs grow larger as we seek to try and understand who we are. And so the idea of sacrificing certain things for your community seems a little bit more remote or a bit more difficult to do. Now, I'm not suggesting people aren't doing that, it's just more challenging when you're trying to be true to yourself, when you're focused on yourself. And of course, actually, that's the biggest difference when we think about these things, and that is, when you're trying to be true to yourself in this great ocean, what happens is, you become bigger and God becomes smaller. That's the biggest problem with this. And so this series is helping us think through how do we make God bigger? What does it mean to be known by God? How do we approach this world of ours, the, the, the soup we're swimming in, if you like, uh, the sea we're swimming in at this particular point in time? Well, what are the biblical resources we have to do this? Well, tonight we're going to think about being God's tattoo, being on his hands in our series called Known by God. And I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49 other passage we heard read out recently. Now, in Isaiah, the people, it's around the 8th century uh, BC. The people of God are in exile. They're extremely distraught. Um, there's great despair all through Isaiah. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people of God um, are finding themselves in a very, very dark pit. And so we hear these words at the beginning of Isaiah 49 in verse 8. Words of hope in the darkness. In that time of favour I will answer you. In that day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant, to be a covenant for, for the people, to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out to those in darkness, be free. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. It's a beautiful moment in Isaiah. God is speaking to his people and saying, yes, I can give you hope. I have a future plan for you. This is not the end. There isn't, you don't have to be in this black hole. Imagine hearing those words in this darkness and this this situation that people find themselves in. You might expect them to rejoice like this. And yet, 
So black is this darkness, so captive are these people that they have a completely different response. See there in verse 14? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. God's spoken into their situation, showed them that there's hope, but they can't even see that glimmer of hope. Now, at this point in the book of Isaiah, the idea of Zion is not just the idea of a city. Uh, It represents far more than that. It represents the people of Israel. It uh, represents a home. It represents an identity. And you can tell that these people are completely lost. Their response to God's hope and him reaching out to them is to say, the Lord has forsaken us, the Lord has forgotten us. Now, it's difficult for us to comprehend just how much uh, these people had an attachment to their city and how much it meant to have their city destroyed and and to be captive. I guess we don't attach ourselves to cities in kind of the same way. I've sort of had an inkling of it, I think, when I went to Jerusalem and to the Wailing Wall. I'm at the Wailing Wall. Uh, There's men and women. The women are segregated from the men. But at the wall, there was lots of Jewish men and women praying like this. And you could see the desperation on their faces and the sadness as they prayed for the day that Jerusalem would be restored. Off to the side, there was kind of a little bit of a cave and and the guys only were led into the cave and in there, there were a whole of scrolls of Hebrew texts. And in there, people were studying and looking for the day when Jerusalem would be released. But you sense this great desperation. Above the wall and over the wall, um, there was a mosque. Because Jerusalem, of course, is very important to those of the Islamic faith as well. And so there's huge tension, but you sense this desperation to see Jerusalem restored. And I I, I get the sense that that's what's happening here. There's this longing for a day for things to be different. They're in such a black hole. And so what does God say to this? He's obviously offered them hope of a future. How does he speak into this particular situation? Well, this is what he goes on to say. He talks about us being God's tattoo. But first of all, in verse 40, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 15, he says this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget... I will not forget you. The writer is pointing out that a, a, that a mother, of course, will remember a child, the child that she's born. And I've, I've had some insight into this quite personally. Uh, some of you will know the story as I've shared it before, but um, I'm the second of three children in my family and I had an older sister who died when she was two. Year after year after year, I recognised that my mum was celebrating both her birthday and the day that she died, or remembering those two dates. 
And I remember thinking about that over the years as, I, as she acknowledged that, just actually very quietly but with great sadness, she remembered Linda well. Linda was close to her heart. And then one day it twigged that I should have a conversation with her and say, look, um, tell me more about this. And what became apparent was mum was really concerned that when she passed away that no one would remember Linda because there would be no one left to remember her. And so I just said to her, look, mum, it's okay. I'll remember her. It's in my diary and I remember Linda every year. But it gave me this insight into the bond she had with Linda. And for over 50 years, she remembered Linda. She knew her name. She knew who she was. And God's saying it may be possible for a mother to forget that. But I'm not going to. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to know who you are. He goes on to make that perfectly clear in this next statement about being God's tattoo in verse 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, the imagery recalls Isaiah chapter 44, verse 5, where the people confess that they belong to the Lord and write on their hands the Lord. Now, in mind here, I think, is the art of tattooing. And, of course, at this time, this is where I reveal my tattoo, isn't it? No, no, I don't have a tattoo. Um, Plenty of friends, plenty of people close to me have tattoos. Um, I don't know what you think of tattoos. Most people don't mind them at all. But when you get someone's name tattooed on you, it's pretty serious, and it's pretty funny when it doesn't work out, of course, but it's pretty serious when you get someone's name tattooed on you. It means something. And God is speaking to the people of Israel and saying, I remember you like a mother and a child, but I want you to know, even more so, you are engraved on the palms of my hands. You are tattooed on me. I will not forget you. Just what price God is prepared to pay to make sure that we are tattooed on his hands becomes evident when we come to John chapter 20. Come with me to John chapter 20, the Gospel of John, uh, where we meet Thomas the disciple. Now, the interesting thing about Thomas is that we don't know an awful lot about him. He's mentioned in the Gospels as coming as one of Jesus' disciples. Um, In John, he has some conversation. There's some conversation around uh, Lazarus' death. Uh, He speaks to Jesus and talks of his allegiance there. But at the end of John, we come into the situation where Jesus has come back to life. He's appeared to the disciples and they are thoroughly convinced that he is alive, but Thomas has not been there. Now, it appears as though the disciples have been trying to convince Thomas that Jesus is alive. See there in verse 24. Now, Thomas one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And the sense there in the original language is, they kept telling him, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen him. 
believe us. But Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas is not convinced. His God is small. He doesn't believe Jesus is God. He doesn't believe Jesus has come back and risen again. And so in verse 26, we hear the story unfold. A week later, the disciples are gathered in the same house. Thomas is with them. The doors are locked. Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. But then notice in verse 27 what he actually does. He says, Thomas. He knows Thomas's name. He knows Thomas's doubts, Thomas's anxieties, Thomas's concerns, Thomas's failure to believe. He knows all that. And yet he comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, uses his name. Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now Thomas, who has been caught up with all his anxieties and his fears, we don't know, actually know whether he touches Jesus or not. But look what he says in verse 28. Thomas says, My Lord and my God. As Jesus shows Thomas his his nail-pierced hands, if you like, his permanent tattoo, he says, I have given my life for you and your name is permanently tattooed on my hands. I was prepared to die for you so that your name could be written on my hands. I know you. I know your doubts. I know your anxieties. I know your fears. I know your name. It's tattooed on my hands. You are with me. It's just a beautiful moment, isn't it? Can you feel it in your heart? Is God speaking to your heart and saying... I know the same thing about you. What are the implications for Thomas? Well, he says, my Lord and my God. It's a really interesting moment, actually, in the Gospel of John because it's one of the first times we hear someone directly recognising Jesus as God. In the beginning of John, we hear about the Word become flesh... But here we actually see it happening before our eyes. Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God, he's recognising who Jesus is. What's happening? He's becoming smaller and God is becoming bigger. As he's known by God, he then worships God. He says, being true to you is much more important than being true to myself. Do you see? 
my Lord and my God. And I want to suggest to you, to the extent that you find your identity in being known by God, is the extent to which you understand what it means to call God Master, my Lord and my God, to call Jesus my Lord and my God. And like Thomas, you will say, it's not about me, it's about following Jesus. And I will follow him and I will be obedient and I will do what he calls me to do. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how challenging it is, no matter what circumstances I find myself in, because I am known by God. He has my name tattooed on my hands. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about making him bigger and me smaller. Can I invite you to consider these words as you look forward into the year with all the decisions you need to make about your finances, about what you do during the week, about the groups that you belong to, about the way you spend your time, about the way you read the word of God. Can I call you to consider what it means to be known by God and to be obedient to him? Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.